the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. Hi, this is Denny O'Neill. My name is Neil Adams. This is Paul Dini. Hi, my name is Dan DeDio. This is Kevin Conroy. Hey, this is Francis Maniple. Hi, this is Jim Lee, and you're listening to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Episode number 176 of the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. I'm your host, Dustin, and today I have with me... This is Ed on Drugs. And you can basically call me Josh Pertoni because I'm recording in some place other than... I'm using someone else's Wi-Fi, basically. I'm in a creepy place. But you can also... I'm the artist formerly known as Stella. Formerly. Formerly known. So we have three three books to cover in depth. We have news from November 29th through December 12th. Uh, a little bit of news here and there, uh, a bunch of books to cover on our Greater Gotham, um, and then we have a bunch of listener Q&A. So we're going to dive straight into comic news to get this show moving. First up, December 1st, Vertigo announced that Paul Dini will be writing an autobiographical autobiogra- Batman original graphic novel uh, dealing with Paul Dini's uh, own personal experience of being mugged and how he used Batman and Joker to deal with it. So we have the full announcement over on the website, it's set to... Co- to release later on this year, but it's actually from Vertigo, not DC Comics, even though it will include Batman, because it is autobiographical. So uh, definitely look forward to that. We will, in fact, when this does release, we will, in fact, be covering this over on the specials feed or somewhere. We will cover it one way or the other when it releases. I'll just leave it at that. Let me say, that sounds super interesting, um, because I know that a lot of real-life instances of, of writers' and creators' lives really make it into and influence their work. And I think particularly of uh, Stig Larson, who is the um, the writer who is now dead, uh, of course, or if you didn't know that, of the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. And that all came from this event that he witnessed that like really changed his life, and he severely regretted it for years to come. And so to think about this, that that something like this violent instance happened to Paul Dini and then how that transformed his writing with these two big characters in the DC universe is really interesting. So I'm actually really looking forward to this. I think this will be intriguing. And I do have to point out, this is not implying that something happened to him prior to ever working on Batman, then this is how he decided to work on Batman. This Mm -hmm. event that happened in his life happened about 2003. So it was during the midpoint of his time with Batman. So I just want to point that out just so there was no confusion. But yes, I I do think it's going to be interesting as well. I I think that any time real life situations can kind of mold to, you know, fictional stuff, I think it's interesting. Um, especially with characters such as Batman and Joker, who are, as we all know, are obviously fictional and have very little impact on, you know, normal day-to-day life. But there are people who it has, those characters have benefited mm-hmm. from knowing. So I think it'll be interesting to see, especially from Paul Dean, because it's been a little bit of time since we've seen some work from Paul Dean dealing with Batman or within the Batman universe. So I'm looking forward to this one way or the other. Mm-hmm. I am looking forward to it a lot, and I, I do hope that since we've all sounds like we're looking forward to it, I think we should we'll probably cover it on here. Um, 
I think it should be, you know, since we're all like, dude, I really want cast. It's time to bring the point five cast back. Oh, it's so funny you say that because later on we'll get to a listener Q and A that brings up the point five. Oh, I'll have some definitive ideas about that. But no, this does look cool, and I think the fact that it's on Vertigo, one means it'll be out of continuity, but two means they can he can do whatever he wants. So I'm assuming that this will probably be something that is much more dark and mature in content because it had had to get shipped to Vertigo. You know, like yeah. If it wasn't something that was pretty hard, I couldn't imagine taking a Paul Dini or a Batman out of the main DC Comics line. Um, but I like Dini as a writer a lot, and I think the last thing he wrote was what probably Black Canaries, a ton of Bloodspell, like a two, two right. years ago. Yeah, that was, that was great. Yeah, and before that, I believe it's really it was good. Yeah, Gotham. Yeah, so I mean, which is way back there. Um, he did really well in that Bloodspell with with Canaries, a ton, and that was an original graphic novel. Um, mm-hmm. so I think he, I think this would be great. So yeah, I. Super looking forward to this. All right. So next up, December 8th, it was an, uh, Terry wrote up an article talking about, well, it's entitled, Will the Real DK3 Writer Please Stand Up? Well, as kind of a, as a kind of a throw to the, uh, Real Slim Shady song by Eminem. But, uh, he basically discussed a lot of the points that we brought up on the last cast about how, you know, is Frank Miller the real person who's behind DK3, or are we be just being led to believe it is a marketing scheme in some ways? So he brings up a lot of finer points. Some of them we talked about, some other points that we didn't talk about. I encourage you to go check that out over on the website. On December 9th, uh, DC sent over a the first look at the new Poison Ivy miniseries that's coming in January. So uh, definitely check out that. We've got uh, the covers. We also have some interior art. Head over to the website to check that out. And then the the last bit of actual news we have comes on December 10th. There is a rumor out there that DC is seeking to find a new Batman creative team. Now, this rumor was first published by Bleeding Cool, which, as as rumor mongers go, they are one of the lead comic rumor mongers. But they do also have a wide range of sources behind some of their stuff and their stuff does turn out to be true sometimes. But basically, their the article stated that they had been told from sources that DC was putting out feelers to a wide range of creators to gauge their interest in potentially working on Batman. Now, the, the kind of, I guess, caveat behind all of this is, as we know, Snyder has said that, well, as we know, Capullo is going to be leaving the book after issue 50 for mm-hmm. a break. We don't know exactly how long, but we all assume it's at least six months. Mm-hmm. Snyder is staying on the book with a, a yet to be determined, uh, de- or yet to be determined artist, you know, for, to stay with him for f- a full amount of time. But he's set to stay on the book for the, the time being. And, uh, Capullo has actually said on multiple occasions on Twitter that he is working with DC to work out a contract extension, stay on the book once he comes back from his break. But could this be DC's way of trying to figure out whether or not they really have to stick with Capullo or if they go with somebody else? As we've brought up before, Snyder has said multiple times that he doesn't want to stay on the book if Capullo leaves the book. So could it actually be if DC and Capullo doesn't come to terms with him returning to the book after his short hiatus, is it, could it actually happen that Snyder ends up leaving the book as well and they find a new creative team? And that's basically the idea that Bleeding Cool was trying to present to people saying, by saying, you know, that they were putting out feelers to other creative teams and things like that. So. Okay. Here's my honest opinion about this. I think this is the, 
old leverage word, right? I think if, if, if this was floated at all, it was DC just making it out there that they don't have to have them on the book. But unless Greg Capullo is asking for them to back up a Brinks truck and just let him take money out as he feels fit, when you've got the best-selling book that DC's had for for years and years and years now, don't break the band up. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, just you got a great selling book. Don't be Yoko Ono. Yeah, yeah don't Yoko Ono this. <laughs> I mean, just keep the band together. Everyone's happy. Give Capullo a couple after dollars and move on mm-hmm. with life. I guess the biggest thing for me is, you know, we've had problems with Snyder's writing. Uh, some of us more than others. <clears throat> yeah, but to say we. Oh my goodness! Kind of li- liberal so, works of the yes, liberal exactly. yeah, use so of the word we. Some yes. of us more than others, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, if it actually came to be that Snyder and Capullo were actually going to leave the title, I have to sit here and wonder to myself, you know, would that necessarily be a horrible thing? I mean, obviously, as as we've said, Batman is the top selling book repeatedly over month in month out, and has been like that for since the beginning of the New Fifty Two. So if it's, it, you know, there's a couple of occasions where it trades spots with Justice League as Justice League outsells it when, you know, it's the end of a big event or something like that. Um, but it's consistently one of the top books, if not the top book, most consistently since the beginning of the New 52. Is there a reason DC would say it's time to change and, you know, potentially miss out on that money? I don't know, but the biggest comparison, I guess, is when we look at a book like Detective Comics, who started out with a creative team, changed creative teams, changed creative teams again, changed creative teams again, and now it's kind of just like the last time they changed creative teams with Pierre Tomasi coming onto the book, they barely even made a mention of it. They were just kind of let it happen, didn't make a big deal about it. And I have to wonder if they can't keep Detective Comics, you know, people enthralled with what's going on in a creative team on that book, how can they really do that with... Batman if they were to bring on a new team because if you think about it, they didn't really make it that big of a deal that Snyder and Capullo were going to be on this book. They probably actually made a bigger deal about Capullo being on the book coming from where he came from with Spawn and things like that. Snyder was is, was still fairly new. I mean, he had written the detective story or the story in Detective Comics prior to the New 52, but he was still rather new to Batman Comics. And he was going to be going in a whole new direction by writing Bruce Wayne as Batman rather than Dick Grayson, which is what he did in Detective Comics. So it's not as if they're, the pairing between the two of them was anything other than just a pairing to begin with. And then just as time progressed, they became a creative team where, you know, they, they proved themselves to work very well together. So I don't know that even if they found a creative team to really you know, replace Capullo and Snyder. I don't know that it would be successful right away anyway. I don't think it would. I mean, I don't know who you'd put in the book. I mean, here's the thing. If you replace Snyder and Cap, you'd have to put a name on the book, right? Am I wrong there? I mean, I don't think they could grab like an unknown. Right. Or I think they'd have to be, you know, just round up the usual specs, Jeff Johns, you know, insert name here, Grant Morrison, you know, like, don't you think they'd have to throw a name on it? It couldn't just be like replacing Snyder with some upstart. Well, you know? I agree. I just I do think it'd have to be a name. And outside of Jeff Johns, there's really nobody at DC that I think could outperform what they are doing. And the biggest thing is trying yeah. to convince Snyder that he doesn't have to be with Capullo if Capullo decides he wants to go on and do something else. Because a lot of people probably don't even understand that 
a writer staying on a book for a long period of time is one thing, but it's very rare for an artist to stay on a book as long as Capullo has. Like, it's a way, way, I mean, okay, well, nonetheless, 50 issues is a lot of books for any creator in general, but artists don't tend to stay on a book for longer than a year or two at max. Mm-hmm. So the fact that Capullo could potentially stay on past five years is kind of nuts in reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, is there any other creator that's still left on the book from the new 52? Like when we started the relaunch, where Snyder was on Batman. Not There's artist-wise. No. Not artist-wise at all. Is there even a writer? Definitely. Well, I guess he's still on Justice League. Yeah, yeah, he's still technically on Justice League. Um, But he's about it. I mean, that's it's it. John's Snyder, right? I mean, Peter Tomasi was on Batman Robin up until yeah, they canceled it, but he then they canceled it, so... I'm trying to think if there's another writer. Flash has gone through. Green Lantern's changed a bunch. Superman's had a couple. <sighs> I, yeah, I mean, I think it'd be I think it'd be tough to do this change. Um, plus, I think that at this point, it's not, and this is not. This may sound like me bashing on Snyder, but I'm not. Don't do uh, it. No, I'm not going to. It's going to sound like that. He's developed his own continuity bubble in Batman, right? Like it or love it, leave it. It's it's its own universe, right? Um, yes, the stories do bleed over, but he's got his own thing going on there. You'd have to totally rework this book. So you couldn't even bring a new creator, I don't think, and continue what Snyder's doing. I think it would have to start over from scratch. And again, unless someone has just got an axe to bury at DC, I don't think this makes sense for anybody. It reminds me of, I'm going to get a little, uh, little Broadway for you, but you know, most people know the, the Wicked musical and you have Adina Menzel before she was Adele Dazeem, and you have Kristen Chenoweth, you know. And Kristen Chenoweth was the first to leave, I believe. It's been a while. And, you know, then they brought on this new person, and it just didn't, it didn't work well between the two of them. And then they had to get another Goenda. And so my point of all of this saying is that there's a chemistry there between writer and artist that we have with, you know, whether you like Snyder's writing or not, I feel like those two, Capullo and Snyder, really work well together. And I think that it's going to be a big trial and error situation when he leaves because I feel like we're not going to just see one artist, but we're going to see a couple until there's a nice little groove. And who knows how long Snyder's going to last after that. Yeah. And I think the, the biggest thing is, who knows what's going to happen? I mean, we, mm-hmm. we do have the, 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 the solicitations for March are going to be out by the time the next time we record the episode. While you're listening to this, they should have actually already released. So head over to the website to check out the solicitations and then wait for the discussion for the next time we record or the next time we release an episode. But the big thing is, issue 50 is hitting, hitting in March. The end of Eternals ha- happening in March. There's a lot of things that are going to be changing come April, and I think that next month we're going to be talking about a lot of the potential changes that are coming to some of these books. You know, is Bruce Wayne going to be back in the cowl? Is everything going to go back to, you know, some? are we going to go in a completely different direction? And it's a very interesting time because we are assuming is going to be ending with issue 50, at least because it's oversized because it's Capullo's last issue. There's that we, we assume this, but if that's the case, then what is, what is Snyder going to be doing? He's going to be going into a brand new story arc in April without Capullo, which is the first time he's ever done that. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I see, think, I think, uh, that's the end of the thing. month, I think at the end of the month, we're going to be talking about predictions here. 
you know what? I this is the other reason I really can't see this happening in a way either. Be like, oh, Mary, last thing on it. If they're gonna, <laughs> if this is this gonna be the end of the Snyder book, I don't think it's gonna go out in a whimper. I don't think it's gonna be like, oh, well, the contract ran up, so that's it. I think we will get a Blitzkrieg. This is Snyder's last story. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't think it'll be like, oh, we couldn't work it out. Them's no, maybe they will, but maybe they will do that for Snyder and not just and just not Capullo. I could see more likely this. This is the scenario I think is re- extremely realistic. Cap could be gone for six months or so, and then right around August or October, when they do these things every year, where they try to pump up something this time of year, it could become, come jump on the last 15 issues, Scott Snyder mega arc. You know? And I could see him going out like that, but I can't, I can't see him letting him just go quietly into the night. <laughs> In like a lion, out like a lamb, you know? Yeah, just like exactly. springtime. I can't see it like that. Let's hope it's not a 15 mega arc. Let's really well, they, can, they can make it a short story for Snyder. be 12 issues. Can you imagine, like, yes, it's not a contract extension by any means, but he's doing 12 more issues. Yeah, well, like, I, <laughs> come on. It could this be is, the untold story of um, Joker and Bruce Wayne as BFFs as they sit on the picnic bench. Yeah. It'll be like the odd couple. Uh, It'll be like the odd. There. I'm ruining some things there. <laughs> We haven't gotten there yet. Couldn't you see, like, we've we've signed Scott to a a three-year extension and just to do one last story? Well, I'm not... See, the thing is, Snyder's one of those few writers where he was one of the few writers that doesn't have an executive position within DC or DC Entertainment that has an exclusive contract with DC right now. No, because he does other stuff. No, he did do other... Like, he had... Wait. Wasn't it The Wake or something? Well, he had The Wake for Vertigo, but he did Witches for Image. Isn't he still like, doing witches? Okay, yeah, he still does, yeah. There was something, I think it was witches, I think witches, whatever the one that he was doing for Image, that was witches. something that he agreed that he was going to be able to do while he was working exclusively with DC. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Because I remember he, reading something about, like, somebody asked him, like, how could you be doing this book at Image if you have an exclusive at DC? And he said, you know, part of the exclusive contract was that this, we already were in the process of planning this out, and this was the one project that we agreed that I could do before this. And, he, you know, there's plenty of people who have asked him, like, what other characters would you like to work on? And he has said, you know, I wouldn't mind taking a crack at Wonder Woman, which is interesting because I have to admit, there's not a lot of people out there who are saying, I want to crack at Wonder, Wonder yeah. Woman. There's just not. But that says something because he must have some sort of idea for a story. But then, you know, he has also said multiple times that he has ideas for characters for Marvel. And I'm sure at some point he will jump ship and go over to Marvel. I mean, <gasps> it's not, it's not going to be the greatest day in the world, but if he feels like, you know, he, you know, he wants to spread his creative wings and tell a story with a character that he really wants to tell, Marvel, I'm sure will have no problem paying him money. And you're going to gonna read it, book. aren't you? Aren't you, Dustin? You mean, you mean you're going to read it, Ed, aren't you, Ed? Aren't you, Ed? <laughs> I'll read it. Are you kidding me? This guy, he could write the phone book and I'd pick it up. Come on. Uh, that's, sad. that's sad. That's sad. That's, that's really, you know, really actually, sad. actually, all kidding aside, I do enjoy his writing. I, I read all the stuff. I read Witches and The Wake and, uh, have you read, if, if no one's read Witches and you want a good, it's a horror comic. Absolutely. But it's good. The, the last bit of, this isn't really news, but the last bit of, uh, information, I guess, to explain is that we did find out because solicitations are rare on the corner, that March is, in fact, Batman v. Superman, uh, Dawn of Justice, uh, variant cover months. Now, the one thing to note about this, which I found quite interesting, was that, well, there was two things. 
One, the press release that they sent out distinctly said in the press release, move our, move over Harley Quinn, Batman and Superman are here. And I thought to myself, wow, they're poking fun at themselves because they constantly use Harley Quinn. Then the other part of it is that um, the amount of books that will be getting the variant covers in the month of March is only 10, which is actually just under half of the books that have gotten them in the previous months. Normally just 10? It's about, yeah, just 10. It's normally about 22 that get them per month on average. It's between the 18 and 22 per month, but... For a long time, it was 22 books, and now it's just going to be 10 books. So I don't know if that's just because oh. of that month, or if it's just because of some other reason they don't, you know, that's the only books they wanted to put Batman vs. Superman, but they're doing on books that it doesn't necessarily make the most sense to have a Batman vs. Superman either. That's they're, weird. They're, they're the top 10 books that are selling for DC, so. I thought there'd be a Batman, I thought there'd be 10 variants of Batman alone for Batman vs. Superman. You would think so. Yeah. And that 10 of Batman, 10 of Superman, something like that. Yeah, weird. But the, the, there's, they didn't really release a whole, the variants because I'm guessing they're, I guess, concerned about potentially giving spoilers away for the movie. I'm not real sure, but they released two covers, which aren't real covers at all. They're, they're basically the posters for Batman v Superman that were released way back in April. So we'll wait and see for that. And then, uh, before we get into comic, uh, reviews, I did want to, I, I have failed to do this the last couple episodes, but I am always doing it in my mind, telling That's myself, helpful. hey, we're going to do this. Can you read my mind? Yes, <laughs> clearly, no one does read my mind. So, <laughs> that, being said, that being said, um, for the last couple of weeks, I have been, or for a while, I've been making sure that any time I see a unique tweet by Scott Snyder, I, you know, either like it or... Well, it used to be called favorite. They're going MySpace or they're going Facebook over Facebook, there, yeah. and they're, they're changing it like yeah, MySpace. I'm really dating it's been myself a while. here. And uh, I, I've been either retweeting them or I have been liking them. And there's a couple different tweets that I want to bring up from Scott Snyder uh, that that had happened over the past couple of weeks because, despite the fact that there's a current rumor floating around that DC is going to be finding a replacement for Snyder, uh, he has actually been saying on multiple occasions that he's going to be working on Batman for quite some time. Um, so first up, he had said, uh, we, we've talked about this before, how he's interested in doing a Two-Face story. He specifically said, I love how crushing Two-Face's origin is, but I'm less interested in him as a tragic figure than a scary reflection coming for us, which is a obviously a different take on Two-Face. Then someone had asked him, uh, you know, how long are you going to be staying on Batman? He specifically replied, I'm staying in Gotham for a bit. There are villains I want to try my hand at. Dot, dot, dot. Now, he doesn't actually, what's interesting is he doesn't say I'm staying on Batman for a bit. He does say he's staying in Gotham. So could we be seeing him jump over another book if Capullo's not with him? I thought that was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Next, uh, somebody had said, but will Bruce be back as Dark Knight? I miss him when he's otherwise disposed by death or memory loss. Gotham seems adrift. And then he replied, Bruce is never coming back. But if he <gasps> did, one fun thing is that he'd be healed. So he'd be faster, stronger than ever. Oh. So, could we be seeing... Uh, okay, now obviously, the problem is when somebody types something, you don't know if they're writing this sarcastically half the time. Obviously, the first part of his comment, Bruce is never coming back, is, is sarcastic. Because there's a lot of people who say, you know, 
how could you have Two-Face come back? Didn't he die in the pages of Batman Robin? And he always replies to these people, yes, because when you die in comics, you're always dead. So See, it's Damian. hard to read. It's hard to read these these things and actually know if he's saying something sarcastically or if it's actually the, the you know completely true. But when he says that it, he if he came back, he'd be faster and stronger than ever, I have to wonder to myself, is there something there? Could he come back? Oh, yeah. With some sort of like, not necessarily, you know, superpower, but could he come back just more advanced than he was before? Oh boy. I, I, I think that he will just be back to like a non-broken version of Bruce Wayne, like a non-beat up one, you know, like in, in peak physical condition type deal. Yeah. I feel like it'll be like peak physical condition in the line, in the same lines of like when he was at the peak of his career. Cause not that maybe, I don't know. If he that takes a toll, man. Get beat, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he has been beat down. So, especially just with Snyder. Snyder keeps beating him down. So. Yeah. I no, disagree I- with you. I, I, and, and in all seriousness, I think that because of the situation of where we last saw him as Batman with all of that isotope and, and the chemicals around, I think that there's going to be something a little supernatural about him. And going into a, a, a really different storytelling, I think, than we've seen with Batman, who in general is very grounded, you know, with, with the, the stuff that is around him. So I actually think that there may be something deeper to the surface than just being healed. I think maybe it'll be like a Damian Wayne sort of situation when he came back from the dead, how there was a little something there. I, I could also see a uh, Batman ink to this. Where, you know, where Batman like took off and left Dick say, Hey, you stay as Batman for a while. I got to get my stuff together. I could see him leaving Jim Gordon and us having a book where maybe it's Snyder's Batman's about Jim Gordon, which frees up the rest of the writers to write Bruce Wayne Batman. Mm-hmm. That way, kind of being able to serve two masters, you mm-hmm. know, let Snyder do what he wants and let everyone else kind of have Bruce Wayne back in the cow. I think that could work. And, and quite frankly, I think that would be kind of cool. Mm hmm. All right, and then somebody asked him if there's other stories that he'd like to write in relation to other villains. And some of the villains he mentioned is Ventriloquist, Catwoman, oh. Two-Face, Mad Hatter, oh, Ivy, Christ. Croc. Wh- so, which which Ventriloquist is what I want to know. I'm guessing uh, Arnold Wesker. Because okay, that's one. the one he's been using in Batman. Just no more, just no more Mad Hatter. Remember that female necessary. one that we had? Oh, yes. Who doesn't? The one from, that was the <laughs> one that uh, Paul Dini came up with. Or you're okay. Wait, wait. Which oh, one no, are you no, talking no, no. about? I was talking about the Gil Simone one. Okay, yeah, that one's horrible. But the one I that don't Paul blame Dini that on Paul Dini. Did, the one that Paul Dini did wasn't that bad. I can't remember her exact name. I want to say it was Penny. Yes, but that was that was you could deal with that. Yeah, that one wasn't yeah. so bad. It, it was like, well, the other one's dead. This is the new one, and it worked. I didn't have a problem it was okay. with it. I could not stand the thirty one with the Gail Simone. Oh one. man, that's that with the horny wooden doll. Yes, which that still, was weird, wasn't it? It, for those of you who don't know, that character is still in Secret Six. No. Yes. yes oh, yes. yes. So I give yes, it a thumbs yes. down every month and yes. greater Gotham's bat signal. Yep. All right. Next, uh, he also said, also next year in Gotham for me is, is going to be some exciting stuff. Been building and things look very, very fun. Then he also mentioned that leading up to, uh, just this past weekend, he was, he's, he was going to be heading to Burbank to do some planning. Um, I can also say that he mentioned a number of other Batman creators, James Tinian, Tom King. So it'll be interesting because Tom King being involved with whatever he's doing, Tom King's not involved in Eternal, and he's been one of the driving forces behind 
uh, Robin War, and a lot of people have really enjoyed some of the other things Tom King has been involved in, such as Omega Men. So it'll be interesting to see what comes from that. Um, but he did say that 2016 is going to be an exciting place for you guys. So knowing that it's going to be an exciting place, I don't know if they're already planning out the next installment of, uh, you know, Eternal. Maybe that's what they're doing. I don't know. I mean, like, it seems like it would be early since this one's not even done. But then again, we do know that they plan this stuff in advance. So who knows? And he did say in his tweets too, not, this is not me joking that, Someone asked him if Harper Rowe and Duke Thomas would meet. He yes. said, yep, it's already on the books for 2016. Yep. Yes, and I actually did retweet that. I want everybody to know since Stella claims Ooh. that I hate both of those characters. So. Well, well that's one on. thing. Your track record, you know, you need to do more retweets than just that. I'd say so. I can only retweet about Harper when so there is a tweet to retweet. You could just, just tweet about Harper on your own. Maybe I will. Maybe for Christmas, everyone will receive a Harper Row image oh. saying Merry Christmas. That would be great. That would be awesome. Yeah, I like that. Don't look forward to it. <laughs> wow. All right. So moving into our comic reviews, because oh, finally. You know, it, we haven't spent enough time do, dealing with the news. Indeed. So the first book we have is Batman. Batman number 47, writer Scott Snyder, artist Greg Capullo. Uh, this issue opens up with Jim telling a story about Bullock teaching cadets about the unpredictability of Gotham by using a card game where the wild card is kind of like a river card is essentially called Gotham. Uh, Jim and the rookie are back in this fight with uh, Mr. Bloom, and through some skill and just more than a little bit of luck, Jim finally uh, manages to uh, blow up the rookie that he's in the fight with. Uh, we then cut to the Iceberg Lounge, where we see Duke trying to get away from the Penguin. Uh, he believes he escapes, but uh, Penguin gets a kind of a last shot in uh, through the roof, which looks like it knocks him off balance. We then back to the Bloom fight, and Bl- Bloom reveals to Jim that, that he's won and he has great plans for Gotham. Um, but all this time, Jim reveals that he's been using this electricity from the suit, and he's burned up all of Bloom's magic power seeds. Uh, and the rookie had one more trick up his sleeve. There's a power blocker being used. And Bloom's powers are quickly going away, and he's kind of becoming a normal person in a cheap rubber suit. Um, we see this. Duke barely makes it out, uh, managed to swim to shore on the other side, and is about to be executed by some goons when Bruce Wayne, Wayne comes sneaking up uh, with a bat, no pun intended, and takes them out, saving Duke. Uh, Duke begins to question Bruce about how he found him. Bruce says it was as simple as checking his search history on the computer, uh, but Duke begins to question all the other things he's figured out how to do as well. At this point, uh, Daryl gets a text Duke and lets him know that his uh, parents, he has some information about his parents. We then see uh, those two walking down a subway tunnel, and a train is oncoming, and they hesitate before Bruce kind of pulls them both out of the way, and we see that in Bruce's mind, he sees like this shape of a bat uh, in the mm-hmm. lights of the train. Duke tells him to stay away from him. Uh, back in the giant bat bus, the rest of the members of Team Batman have gathered around uh, to unmask Bloom once and for all, but right before they do it, the, uh, the bus gets turned over, and we see lots of blooms. Um, looks like a, a whole little gang of them. Uh, we then cut to Bruce sitting on a bench. Uh, the same saw, the same scene that we saw at the, on the first issue of Super Heavy. Um, he's beginning to come to terms with the fact in his mind that he may have been Batman when a man walks up and asks if he can have a seat. Bruce says, yeah. The man sits down. Bruce says that he had an accident near there recently. And we finally see the man that sat down, and it's the Joker. And he says, that's funny. So was I. Bum, bum, bum. That's exactly what that was. 
Next up, best friends forever. So we had a lot going on here in this issue. So the first question I think is the simple one. The Joker's back. Mm-hmm. Where's he been this time? And what will we see out of him? Do we think this is the Joker Joker? Or is this maybe an amnesic Joker? Or I don't know. What do you guys think we're going to see out of the Joker? Okay. Where has the Joker been? Um, I think that he, <sighs> you know what? I think I was, I was going to say maybe he was also working at a shelter, but I don't think that's probably true. I feel like he looks like a stand up sort of guy and he, he makes sort of a crack about a joke. And for some reason, I'm thinking of the killing joke. So why, why not have a, a stint on the Gotham City comedy house club tour? Maybe he's, that's what he's doing. Uh, I think that he's also somewhat amnesiatic because that's, it just seems like it's fitting the yin and the yang, you know, Bruce's. So why not this Joker character? Um, but they, you know, it's interesting because I think, uh, this isn't the first time I've seen this, but I feel like whenever there's a traumatic event and you have memory loss issues that wherever, you know, you're sort of gravitating towards or you're pulled towards that particular area where that event happened or people or different objects. So I'm not surprised that he would roll up and be in the same vicinity. Um, I don't know how he got out nor how he healed though. Again, I guess I think it still goes back to those chemicals. I think there are lots of questions unanswered there. I like that uh, Snyder waited this amount of time to reveal that this was true. Just like he sort of waited for Bruce. I liked that they waited a long time, but I wasn't surprised because I thought he's, he's, he's gotta be alive. As for the plans, I'm, I'm just thinking that whatever happens to Bruce, it's gonna be mirrored in whatever happens to the Joker. So when Bruce finally is able to finish that sentence, because he almost says, I just gotta do it, I just gotta do it, you know, and he almost says, I'm Batman. Whenever that happens is I think also when, you know, Joker is, is going to somehow regain his memory and come back. And I think that may be at the very end. You know, issue 50, if you want to go out with a bang, I guess that would be the way for, you know, the Joker to pop up again. But right now, I mean, I can't, like I said, I jokingly said it, but frankly, it's going to be like a Felix and Oscar situation with these two. I feel like maybe there'll be some interesting connection for a while and then we'll move on from there. But it's weird how he looks so normal. You know, Bruce has got his beard, which is natural, but now Joker just looks like a regular guy, which I thought, well, that's interesting. His teeth are okay, and he doesn't have any stretch marks on his face that got ripped off. But yeah, it's a it's a big it's a big mystery. Just like their memories are a big mystery. Here's my thought: Joker could be any. He could have been anywhere. I mean, I don't know necessarily. The I guess the reason why they're drawn to that bench is because. It's above where they were. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, in my mind, he could have been anywhere. It doesn't really make a difference where he was. He doesn't have his memories and he doesn't have anybody telling him that he was a psychopathic killer. Then he's probably not too concerned about doing anything but just living normal life. So really, that's not really super concerning to me because like, other than the fact that he's still alive, okay, well, great, then he's still alive too. There's no way you could explain the Joker being dead if Batman or if Bruce Wayne was alive. I mean, there's just not a way to explain it like that. So, you know, in my mind, you know, it's fine. I, you know, I 
am wondering if we'll see a parallel drawn here by Snyder. I think he likes to do that. I think that's something we talked about maybe back at the beginning of the series. I think if we're seeing Bruce at his core with his memories wiped, gone, or whatever was going on, Bruce kind of went out and decided to work in a shelter and, and try to improve the city of Gotham and improve people's lives, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking we may see that same thing in the Joker as well. I mean, it, what they are at their core. And I think at the core, Joker is a bad dude. So I think that he, you know, I think we maybe see he's been a criminal. Maybe he's been out killing people. Um, But I think that the way that Snyder likes to draw parallels in a story, we'll see that, you know, the core of these people, Bruce is being good and the Joker's being really, really bad. Um, Now back to like the main part with Jim, we see a, a flock of blooms there at the end, like, like a flock of seagulls. Um, and I ran. I ran so far. <laughs> Do you That's get it? Yeah, oh, Do I you get it? Yeah, the 80s. Okay. They got great hair. What can I say? Dustin, um, are you okay? I'm living. <laughs> Just living the dream. Yeah. What do we, so now that we see there's a whole flock of blooms, well, I know we all had some ideas on who we thought bloom was. Mm. Um, we were kind of, I was hedged on the Joker. I think Stella was on that bandwagon a little bit. That doesn't seem to be happening now. Mm. Um, we had the text messages, uh, between Daryl and Duke while this was going on. So it's possible that Daryl's not it either. And there's a bunch of them now. So has this given you guys any insight on what Bloom is or isn't and maybe where this is going now that we see that there's more than one? Well, I want to say I never thought it was the Joker at all. No, no, you were not on that bandwagon. Yeah, I was on the Daryl bandwagon with, along with Corvin, who reviews the book on the website. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that necessarily having these other blooms is, you know, automatically going to cancel out any one specific person. Because honestly, to me, it comes across as maybe, you know, the one bloom took one of these pills and he's able to multiply himself or something because we know that, you know, his, his seeds that he gives people have the ability to give all kinds of different types of powers. It's not always the same. If he knows how to harness the actual abilities, it would make sense, um, that, you know, he would use something that would, that would benefit him. Maybe all of them are multiples of the original and the original is not there at all. I mean, like, and maybe that still leads us to think it could potentially be Daryl. You know, there's no way of knowing for sure, but the one thing is, I don't know that, I don't think that by, I don't think we should immediately say, well, it's, it's definitely not somebody that, we had already seen, I mean, like, I still don't think it's Joker. I don't, I mean, I think at this point it's not Joker just because at the end of the issue we have Joker sitting on a bench with Bruce Wayne. But in my mind, I think that we shouldn't jump to anything too quick about whether or not we know this person. It could still be somebody that, you know, we've been introduced to and we just don't know who it is yet. Mm. I mean, that's obviously a possibility too, but if with the idea of the, the multiple, you know, the being able to multiply yourself, is this something that we could potentially see the reasoning for Bruce Wayne being the clone or having the, the, the thing with the clone involved with if this is something that's being put out there? We know the cloning machine's not working and we've been told, nope, this machine doesn't work. But if somebody has the ability to just clone themselves, then obviously there's some way to have it, have it happen. Mm-hmm. You know, my knee-jerk reaction is to sort of think about the, uh, the Red Hood game, gang, the Red Hood gang, sorry. And that sort of being a good introduction to, uh, the Joker. 
and, you know, how he would become the actual Joker. And so I wonder if this is, you know, if we're in, in this sort of world with a Bruce 2.0 where we're almost reliving his origin story, um, you know, just through in amnesiatic's eyes and then, you know, it's a slow burn, but I'm sure he's going to get back to Batman at some point. Then what if this is also Joker 2.0 and Ed, just like as you had surmised, you know, if he's evil at his core and he's doing nefarious things, I think that Joker path could still, or our idea that the Joker is in fact Bloom or associated with him could still work. Even if he's not Mr. Bloom, he could be part of the flock of seagulls. Mm. Um, and then, you know, once that gang disbands, he becomes Joker 2.0. But it's just, which would actually be really interesting because, you know, I, I think everything that Center's doing is sort of mirroring what had happened originally, you know, in the first Batman, just sort of tweaking it. So I'm thinking that. Uh, this band could be a way to lead into Joker. So I'm still going to keep on thinking that the Joker is involved with this somehow. Well, I, I think that there'll be some type of involvement. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. Think about it. every story we've had, Zero Year, Quarter Owls, Endgame. <laughs> yeah. Snyder does this. He has two parallel stories. This one, it's Bruce and mm-hmm. Jim Bats, right? They Jim Bats. Jim Bats, yeah. They occasionally bump up against each other, and then at some point, the two stories collide, right? And mm-hmm. everything becomes interconnected. So I think that we will for sure see. We, this is 46. We've got three, four issues left still in the story. Think about this. This story doesn't end to 50. So we got another four months of the story, and mm-hmm. 50 will probably be a supersized one. So I yeah. could see that a lot of that actually happening here. Um, everyone's theories are as good as mine is. I'm not 100% sure. But I will say this. If, uh, you know, if I had to pick a pet theory, we have some people that seem to be able to move themselves, uh, maybe Clayface, all mm. the Clayfaces, you know? Oh! The, like a modern, like, mud pack type deal with what? a bunch yeah. of Clayfaces there? That's crazy. That would be, you know, something that's probably never going to happen, but something that would make me very, very interesting. But I think that's the core of the book, because those two things there, and that's what I got on. All right, so Batman number 47, uh, I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five batterings. Mm. I'm going to give it four and a half out of five. I loved it. You know, as I was reading this, I sort of took a step back and I thought to myself, Stella, you're actually enjoying this. And I would like to say that I think I'm enjoying this particular story the most out of all the things besides Black Mirror that I've read, I guess New 52 wise of Scott Snyder. I'm actually really Whoa. enjoying this particular story. Um, More than Court of Owls? I don't know. Uh, I think I think it's this one. I don't know. I'd have to yeah. reread that. Definitely not zero year, and but this, I, I'm just enjoying this. I like this new take on it. I really like it. So I'm going to agree and say four out of five better ranks. And I think this also reinforces something we've talked about a lot, which is Scott Snyder stories read so much better when they're collected together. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. because this this on the park bench thing, if you because this has been six or seven months since we saw that. Right. Mm-hmm. If you're reading this in one setting or over a couple of days, you'd be like, "Oh, wait a minute, the bench thing." I'm afraid that I, this happened so far that people may have forgot about it. Oh you know? no, I hope not. Yeah, I hope not too. It's going to be an image to remember. Yeah, I think so. All right, and over on the website, Corbin gave it four and a half, so it's going to give Batman number forty-seven a total of four out of five batterings. Let's move into our next group of books: Batman and Robin Eternal numbers nine and ten. First off.
first off, number nine, written or script by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, art by Rohe Antonio. Uh, the issue starts off with uh, Red Robin and Red Hood in a what appears to be a bat wing, but Tim says that it's actually his. Uh, it gets shot out of the sky as they're above Santa Prisca, and they land into the jungle as they are trying to investigate what is there. Uh, what is at Santa Prisca that's sending out this signal that is, that's going through Mother. Uh, they find the, the church for the crusade of Saint Dumas. Uh, we then see, uh, Bane appear out of the jungle and say that his island has been overtaken by these people and it's bleeding. Uh, <laughs> after a fight ensues between them, they agree to work together to eliminate Saint Dumas. Over in Prague, we see Dick investigating some information on the computer while Harper's training uh, some fighting skills. Um, as Dick says to her, you know, listen, you know, you might be angrier than Jason, and that makes you stronger. You're smart, and your, ta- your tech makes Tim jealous, but you're lucky, and luck runs out. She takes offense to this, and he basically says, help me figure something out. I need a second eyes on this. And she says, fine, I'll help you with the paperwork today, but tomorrow you're going to help me find something to punch. We then cut to Prague several years ago where Bruce Wayne is headed to a meeting with Mother, where she reveals that she knows that he is Batman. Um, After telling him that she knew exactly, or she knew that he put a tracking device on her, Orphan attacks him. Uh, Then Mother tries to attack Bruce Wayne um, and says that he needs a better Robin. He doesn't need a wife. He needs a better Robin. Um, he says no deal and he throws a gas grenade and decides to run off. We then cut back to Santa Prisca where Bane, Red Hood, and Red Robin are going into the, uh, church. And as they get to the church, they're investigating a number of different things. They find out there's some really high technology that even Tim is not, not privy of knowing about, including some drones and some security locks and things like that. Um, as they get to the main uh, sanctuary, they find some people who used to work for Bane pledging allegiance to the Order of St. Dumas. And uh, as this happens, someone overhead tells them that they need that they know everything about both Tim, Jason, and Bane. And uh, the person reveals themselves as Azrael, next Holy War. So then moving over to issue number 10, which is also written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, with art by Roje Antonio, Antonio and Geraldo Borges. Uh, this issue starts off right where the last issue is, where Azrael goes to attack Bane, uh, Red Robin, Red Hood. Uh, Bane says he will take on Azrael, and uh, he tells Tim and Jason to go take on the minions of the Order. Uh, as this is happening, Bane ends up getting his head touched by Azrael, and Bane sees a vision that basically it puts him in, out of the fight immediately. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tim and Jason realize that this is happening, and they take off before they have to deal with the, re- the, the repercussions from that. As they're escaping, they run into some drones and have to take out the drones. Uh, uh, Tim uses his tech skills to kind of hack into one of the the uh, the drones to kind of understand exactly where they are in the map of the ch- of the church itself. As they're about to escape, they come into a room where someone, uh, a number of uh, 
helmeted members of the uh, order. They attack them, and as they're about to attack them, uh, we see them take them out, not very quickly, but they access a computer that reveals the identity of Azrael is Sean Paul Valley. Uh, Robin claim, or Tim Drake, I should say, claims that he actually knows who he is. He's one of Mother's children, um, but he doesn't go into much details outside of that. We then cut to Prague several years ago where we see Bruce Wayne return um, and tell tell uh, Dick that uh, he something happened and he wasn't supposed to go out. Dick wasn't supposed to leave the cave. Uh, Dick says nothing. I, I just went out to take out Crane. Uh, Bruce is kind of upset because he went out without being told to, which tipped off Mother from the last issue. Uh, they get into a fight and Dick storms out. Uh, Bruce is, 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 is bleeding and we then see him going after a number of thugs throughout Prague and, uh, he then approaches, uh, Mother while she's eating dinner in the Batman costume and says, okay, I'm listening. What's, what, what are you talking about? I need a new Robin. We then see Azrael, uh, fighting Tim and Jason. Uh, Tim and Jason are not having a whole lot of luck taking out Azrael, but they are able to kick his mask off and reveal Jean-Paul Valley's face, uh, with a mohawk. Um, and then, <laughs> and it turns out Jean-Paul Valley is able to touch Tim Drake's face, leading him to have a crazy vision mm-hmm. and, uh, puts him out of the fight and he just keeps uttering the words, no Bruce, no Bruce, we failed Bruce. Um, we then see Tim Drake and Jason Todd, or Jason grab Tim. They jump out of a building, spray some shark repellent all over themselves, which happens. <laughs> I to love be, this. Which I happened, <laughs> yeah, which just happened to be, uh, well, it was actually said at the beginning of issue nine that Tim Drake always carries three different types of shark repellent on him, so on good. his person at all times. So, good. so su- super convenient, yet pretty amusing. Uh, so then Sean Paul Valley sees the computer screen saying that his name is Sean Paul Valley and not necessarily Azrael. Uh, he's convinced that there's something more to it. Meanwhile, in Prague, we see that Dick Grayson and Harper Rowe have deduced who in fact, uh, is behind the mask of Orphan. Uh, the person's name is in fact David Kane and they go to David Kane's island or the area where his house is. And as they get there, they are introduced to the, a character called Sculptor, and that person knows everything there is to know, including the secret identities of Bluebird being Harper Row. Next up, Mind Games. So there was a lot that happened in these two issues, uh, a whole lot. First off, we have the reveal of Azrael, uh, which we kind of all knew was coming, but Azrael happens. Jean-Paul Valley is, in fact, the Azrael. It's not Michael Lane, for those of you who were hoping out for, or holding out for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Jean-Paul Valley's back. We also see the reveal of David Kane as Orphan. So, kind of a combination question for the two. What did you guys think of David Kane and Azrael being revealed? So, I liked it. I really, you know, like, Azrael, I think, is a character that when you were reading Batman comics in the 90s, you can have a vitriolic reaction to him because of some of the stuff that happened. Um but remember, Azrael was a big part of the Batman universe for a long time. I mean, a really how many, long time. How many issues did his solo series have? Like a hundred. Like a hundred. But I thought it was like a hundred, right? I mean, yeah, it's exactly a hundred. It was exactly hundred. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time. A hundred issues. 
that doesn't include all the times he was in Batman stories and what a major player he was in things like No Man's Land, right? Um, this is a little bit of a tweak on him. It's still at the heart very similar, though. I mean, some of the beats are the same. You know, a little bit of mind control, a little bit of training, uh, you know, a, a dash of some crazy religious things. You know, I mean, I think some of the beats are the same. I'm, I'll re- withhold a total judgment on it until we get to see the full story because we kind of – it'll be curious. Obviously, it looks like this was Mother's creation, but where did she get him from? Mm-hmm. Like maybe maybe she got him from the Order of St. Dumas or maybe – you know what I'm saying? Maybe there is some more story there yet, yet to be seen. Um and the David Kane is fine. I mean, I think it's far more outshadowed by the Azrael revelation. I think we're going to get a lot more from Kane in the future. Um, but overall, I mean, I like this. Um, I think Azrael was a character that he really took a beating due to some things that went kind of haywire. Um, but I think if he's done right, he could be an interesting addition to, to the universe again. I am not shocked about David Kane because if you remember a couple or several episodes back, when we first started it, I had guessed that David Kane was in fact orphaned just because of the familiar way that he was speaking to Cassandra when they were fighting. I figured that it probably was her father. Uh, so not shocked about that. I'm glad that it's finally out that now. And I'm wondering how, if at all, they're going to develop um, Cass uh, in this, in these pages, which I feel like maybe there's just not enough time and they're going to have to give her a series, whether or not they do that, who knows. As for Asriel, um, I guess I don't, I don't have any particular attachment. No, I guess that's not true. If I were to pick one, it probably would be uh, Valley, just because I literally, like, very recently finished reading you know, this trilogy of Nightfall, Knights, and Knights Quest, or is it yep, Knights? <laughs> um, so, and even before that, I, I read sort of Asriel to prepare for this lead up because Oracle appears in there. So I had, I had done a lot of reading with him and sort of got to know him, you know, first when he was just this mind controlled young man and, you know, that, that dwarf that was helping him, <laughs> all of that stuff. So I am glad they went with with this, um, I, and I'm sure that there are fans that are a little bit bummed that we're not starting off back and, and getting to know his father and everything. Um, it's an interest. What most intrigues me is his power set. Whatever, it's almost like uh, he's using the system. Remember that system that controlled yes. him and yep. guided yep. him and, and yep. everything. It seems like he can harness this. And I mean, anything that can take Bane from this like monstrous guy with with just all this rage and could break you into sort of this simpering, um, I don't, you know, child, uh, is that's gotta be pretty powerful. So I, I feel like that's what he, the system somehow he can almost use. It's been, it, like you said, Ed, it's been tweaked. And so now he can yep. sort of touch someone and, and there you go. Uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, as for his first appearance, I liked the way nine ended. Just with like you, you see him, his speech bubble is sort of like the 90s speech bubble of Azriel that you always saw, just, you know, the flames and, and all of that stuff. Just a sight to behold, and I think that was treated really well. Um, a little if, you know, just a little iffy on, on what went down, I think just cause it's, it's really crazy and, and 
I think reading it, I felt like what Ed feels like now on drugs, especially the Tim yeah. one. The Tim vision was so weird. That was like crazy. the face was breaking down and everything. Um, but yeah, I'm happy that it's Valley, I think. And like Ed, I think I will reserve full judgment until we get to know him and his history and how he came into being. But, um, you guys guessed it that this was going to happen and here he is. And, and I think it's good that. They've done it now, right? Instead of waiting and dragging us along. So now we have him so we can explore him more before, of course, you know, the story ends. Well, I think the, the biggest thing is our, you know, James Tinian has said multiple times that Cassandra Kane wasn't going to be the only character that they brought back right? for Eternal. Yep. Now David Kane's back. Now mm-hmm. Jean Paul Valley's back. Is there still somebody else out there that is going to get brought back that we, you know, that now that we've had three major characters from the Batman universe, reappear within this, you know, pre, you know, post new 52 universe or post flashpoint universe, the, you know, it'd be interesting to see whether or not there still is going to be somebody else. Now we don't know that there will be anybody else. We all assumed Azrael was going to be it. David Kane in some ways is kind of, I mean, it wasn't really, it was just going to be revealed who orphan was. Um, we still don't necessarily know if mother is anybody or if she's just a character, um, that was created specifically for this, right. but, Ultimately, I think that, uh, the, the return of both of them was great. I loved how there was so many, like, it was so close to the original Sean Paul Valley. Like you both said, you know, the, it is tweaked, but it's tweaked in the correct way where it kind of like, it harkens back to the original character, which I think is very important to do. Um, I thought that, you know, overall it was, it was enjoyable. Um, I didn't, didn't really have any major issues with either one of them. Um, <laughs> I want to move into my next question, which is, so with this, you know, we, we kind of see the teams being split. This happened in the first Eternal with, you know, Harper with Tim was, you know, those two were together for a while. We had uh, uh, Jason and Babs for a while that were teamed mm-hmm. up. You know, there was these teams. And with this book, it seems as if there's really only two teams, Harper and Dick and Cassandra. And then we've got... Tim and Jason on the other side. And I'm wondering if there's any real reason behind this other than just to be different. Um, I don't necessarily think there's anything wrong with the teams in any way, but it's just interesting how it seems as if this is like this normal format for eternal where eventually the large group of characters, they go from the large group down Mm -hmm. to splitting into teams, going on separate areas of the world to, you know, do whatever they're going to do. And then, you know, by the end of the story, they all come back to each other. It's just an interesting format. But I wonder to myself, you know, is this kind of taking away from the story? We've talked about this before where, you know, the main focus is on one of the two teams and the other team is just kind of like the background noise to whatever the story is. Uh, in these two issues, obviously Jason and Tim was the main focus with Harper and Dick taking the back seats. We still had the flashbacks, which is, I guess, in some ways, another team, that, uh, you know, kind of like how there was more than two teams in Eternal, the first volume. This one, there's still technically more than two because we have Bruce and Dick as the other team just in the past. So, I guess, do you guys feel as if this format of breaking up the teams works? I mean, it seems as if it works because they're using different groups of writers and things like that. And that was the same thing they did with the first volume. But do you think it's a thing that they should keep doing? Or do you feel as if it would be a smarter idea to kind of tie, you know, tie it a little bit closer together? 
Well, I, th- I think some of this is a necessity of storytelling. We all like the the big group scenes, and they're fun. They're great. They're awesome. Group fight mm-hmm. scenes, group talking. But it's also difficult to build a narrative with ten people in a room and make you feel like that some. Because think about it, every time you have the, these guys together, the people at the back of the room are just the people standing in the back. You know what I'm saying? Like to have all ten people interact. Normally, when you have a group scene like that, it's Batman eulogizing, or you know what I'm saying? I mean, I think that this is a necessity. Do I think that they'll come back together again? Um, but but I do think that this is almost a necessity so that everyone gets page count, the, the meaning meaningful page count. You don't want them to be room meat, you know, just to fill out the room. Um, so, do I wish we had bigger, more big scenes together? That'd be cool. But I think this is almost just the only way you could tell it and make it coherent. Yeah, and I think you know, with any team book uh, or any book in general, when you have so many people, you know, the, the, the chiefs in the kitchen, no, what is it? The, the, the chefs, the chiefs, cooks <laughs> the in the kitchen, cooks <laughs> in the kitchen. Sorry. Yeah. Indians. Missing, now, well, isn't it like too many chiefs and not enough Indians? Isn't that one of them too? I think so. Anywho, um, you know, if you've got all these people running around and you have multiple goals you need to figure out, it doesn't make sense for one person to do all these while everyone sort of sort of sits on their hands and waits for their their turn to go. So, so I think it is a necessary evil to do this. And it's interesting because I went from reading this to reading Robin War, and I feel like the same thing. I know we're not going to talk about, but I feel like the same thing is happening there, where you had the same pair ups like I saw Tim and Jason again together so it seems like that's the you know the pairing that's going to happen but I wonder if there's another way to do it and I know that one of the faults we found in Eternal Volume 1 was the fact that the one with the uh shoot it's not Nightwing it is Batwing the one with Batwing and Corrigan and all of that right that sort of got lost in what was going on because we only saw it maybe once a month when it was released weekly. Um, but I think of um, The Walking Dead, which I assume both of you watch, I think. Um, and, you know, one episode will focus on a cast of characters and follow them throughout. And then the next episode will follow another group that could be in a different place entirely, but the storytellers let you know when it's happening by giving some sort of clue or beat, um, like a fire or an explosion. So you're like, oh, so this is happening contemporaneously or at the same time as that other story. So I wonder if there's a way that you could have a pair like Tim and Jason and watching what they're doing over a full issue. And then the next issue, okay, focus on Dick and Harper and maybe give more meat to the story and then have a moment where maybe there's a, a calm link or something connecting to Tim where you realize, okay, this is happening at the same time that Tim and Jason are fighting so that you, you fall, there is more, I guess, more cohesion, but the story elements, you're not going back and forth. Maybe it's stronger. Maybe you can fit more elements in there, but it's not so jarring to go back and forth. Uh, back and forth between story elements, nor think that something is superfluous over the other. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I, I absolutely agree with Ed that I think it's a necessary, necessary evil if you want to get the story done in a timely manner. And the fact that, hey, if you've got multiple missions, you can't have people just sitting in the cave doing nothing. But I also think that there is a way, potentially, I think there's just still sort of ironing it 
ironing out the storytelling mode because I honestly think that this volume um, is stronger than the last one. I know we're only on episode nine or <laughs> we're only on issue nine and ten now, so who knows? But I think they're still working it out, but I think there are better ways to handle this sort of storytelling. Yeah, I think the the big thing for me is that if we – I agree, I, it is a much better story and it's more, you know, tightly knit than the first volume. The first volume, you know, flailed in places. This hasn't really flailed in a whole lot of any places. So I appreciate the fact that they're doing a better job, but I still believe that there is some way of making it so it's not just so – we're going to move, be moving in these next two issues and these two issues we're going to deal with this team. Next two issues we're going to go back to the other team. Like there feels like there just has to be some sort of thing. I mean, in some ways they're doing it with this because they're interspersing these flashbacks in every single issue regardless of which team they're working on. So the idea is that if somebody, if they can figure out some way of making the flashbacks, you know, work parallel to the actual story, they should be able to do it with both teams. Uh, I can understand to a degree you want uh creative, you know, you want a creative team or writers or a group of writers working on specific characters, uh, you know, for them to have their characters to work on. And that's fine. I don't have a problem with it. To be quite honest, I thought that Lansing and Kelly here, the last, you know, issues nine and ten, I thought they did an amazing job with Tim Drake. They, you know, they had the cockiness that he's had since the New 52, but they blended it with some of the stuff from the pre-New 52 universe that to make Tim Drake not so, you know, jerky and a little bit more enjoyable to read. So I really appreciated that. And I'd love to see what they'd be able to do with a Tim Drake series, not necessarily writing Mm -hmm. Teen Titans, but writing a Tim Drake series. I think that those two could do a really good job just based off of these two issues as kind of like a pilot Mm -hmm. run for a Tim Drake series. But You've got like the straight man and the comedian, you know, like Tim is very straight laced. And then Jason, I think, uh, is sort of the guy who is the comedian, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely think that, you know, pairing, they're, they're doing a good job of finding a writer or writers to write specific characters. I think they're doing an amazing job with that. Mm-hmm. I just feel as if, you know, there's, I feel like, from one story to the next, whether whatever part of the story it is, should just feel a little bit more tighter. And mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, it's not that it's not tight. This story is much tighter than the first volume, but I feel like it just needs to be just a little bit tighter and then it'll be like perfect. And who knows? By the time we get to volume three, maybe they'll alleviate a lot of this stuff and we won't have to worry about any of it. And that could honestly end up being the case. So who knows? Well, I think what you're seeing here, <clears throat> all kidding aside, and I, I agree with what you're saying. Have you been kidding at this? <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty heavily medicated right now. I'm not 100% oh, okay. sure. You know, I, I think that they're starting to, they've learned, they learned so much from the first Eternal. You know, like, and I'm just wondering, I still think 25 is too long. That's my thing. I think you should do these 12 issues, one year event. You can do them oversized if you want. You know, 35 pages, 40 pages. But that would allow you to have so much more continuity with the art team as well. You know? If you still do a 12-issue story oversize, it's going to be about a 15, 6. That still can be a major, major, you know what I'm saying? Um, I just think they're still too long. And I don't think the art team has enough to be coherent, and I just wish they would get that fixed. So am I even going to bother going into my normal question of, you know, do you think the flow well worked well? Because we kind of talked about that to a degree with the question I just asked. Um, but overall, I thought, uh, issue number nine, I'm going to give a total of three out of five. Um, 
three, three and a half out of five. Astros back. Three out of five. All right, and over on the website, Ian gave it three, so that's going to give issue number nine a total of three out of five. Now, moving into issue ten, uh, this one I thought was actually better than issue nine just because we actually see Azrael being hashed out, the reveal of his, his, you know, his character in this issue, and then also the reveal of David Kane. I'm going to give this one a total of four out of five. Uh, I'm going to stick with three and a half on this one as well. I'm going to stick with three. I'd like to say that the art I thought was bad. The, yeah, I will it agree. It was not art. good, was. Yeah, there, there was a lot of problems with the art in these yeah. two issues, which doesn't help, but, you know, the, the story was good, so at least it had that going for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, over on the website, Ian gave it four out of five, so that's going to give issue number ten a total of three and a half out of five. All right, so that's going to bring all of our in-depth reviews. We're going to jump over to Gotham's Finest. With that, we have a number of books to cover. Uh, so I did mention on the last episode that we didn't have, we, there was issues of Gotham Academy that never came out during the month. And lo and behold, these past two weeks, because Gotham Academy number 13 tied into Robin War, the issue, it's, there was actually two weeks in a row that we got issues of Gotham Academy, which I thought, thought was kind crazy. of amusing. Yeah. Um, it's Christmas. So, yeah, yeah, Christmas and, I guess that's that's one way of DC giving you a bunch of Christmas presents is jam-packing your December to buy a bunch of stuff you would have bought in November. But yes, moving in to our our uh, Gotham's Finest. First up, we have Batman Beyond number 7, reviewed by Jim. He gave it 3 out of 5. Uh, this issue is the prologue of uh, the previous story, the City of Yesterday prologue. Uh, so this issue I'm giving a thumbs up. Uh, neutral. Thumbs up. Next up, Batman Arkham Knight number 11, which includes digital chapters 33 to 35. Uh, this was reviewed by Ryan. He gave it three and a half out of five. Uh, this one deals with Calendar Man as, just as we saw in the last issue. So this one I'm giving a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Gotham Academy number 12, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it a total of four out of five. This issue kind of sees the, the previous story arc kind of wrap up, uh, with Olive finding out her true history of uh, of her family. Uh, so for this one, I'm giving a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. And a uh, couple of my uh, hypotheses are coming true. All right. Next up, Midmi- Midnighter, number seven, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it three out of five. Uh, this one has uh, Prometheus being revealed, or Matt being revealed as Pro- Prometheus, as it was revealed in issue number six. Um, he basically beats the sound of Midnighter. Uh, this one, uh, I'm giving a neutral. 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 Uh, next, Gotham by Midnight, number 11, reviewed by Jim. He gave it five out of five. Uh, this one deals with Corrigan, w- which everybody believes Corrigan and Drake are both dead. Mm-hmm. Um, but it turns out the specter arises and it is unable to take down the giant creature that uh, we dealt with earlier in the series. So for this one, I'm giving a thumbs up. Thumbs up. Thumbs up. Uh, next, uh, Harley's, Harley's Little Black Book, number one, which deals with Harley teaming with Wonder Woman. This one was reviewed by Gary. He gave it three and a half out of five. This one I'm going to give a thumbs up. Uh, thumbs up, and there was some bizarre stuff. With, if you talk about variant bizarreness, what was going on with this? 
<laughs> you troll. Next, Teen Titans number 14, reviewed by Jim. He gave it three out of five. This issue deals with, uh, the aftermath of the, the previous story arc and, and, uh, more specifically, the team coming back together, but dealing with the fact that, uh, some of them don't trust each other. Uh, no surprises there. Uh, this one I'm giving a neutral. 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 Uh, next, Batman Superman number 27, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it a total of three out of five. Uh, this one deals, it's the conclusion of the current story arc. Jim Gordon in the Batsuit comes to help uh, Red Hood and Batgirl and Dick Grayson, who are helping Superman take on Vandal Savage. For this one, I'm giving a neutral. Thumbs up. Neutral. Next, Batman Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one, reviewed by Ryan. Uh, I think the title says it all. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles teaming up with Batman. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles appear f- within a different dimension, which is Gotham City and the Batman that we know. Uh, for this one, I'm giving a thumbs up. Neutral. Four baby turtles. I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Next, Catwoman number 47, reviewed by Gary. He gave it a total of three and a half out of five. Uh, this issue has Frank Thierry kicking off his new story arc, uh, which brings uh, Selena Kyle to... New York City to, uh, and, and basically going back to her old ways of being a jewel thief. She steals one jewel, is led to steal another jewel only to find, only to be led into a trap with the police. So for this one, I'm giving a neutral. 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 Uh, next, new Suicide Squad number 15, reviewed by Bill. He gave it three and a half out of five. Uh, this one deals with Amanda Waller going face to face with Miss Pesta which is the character who has been trying to come at the Test Force X, uh, specifically because she doesn't like dealing with people with powers. Uh, so for this one, I'm giving you a neutral. Uh, neutral. Neutral. Uh, next, Earth 2 Society, reviewed by Bill. He gave it uh, three and a half out of five. This one has a number of the members teaming up with an oversized Alan Scott Green Lantern mm. uh, to take down Doctor Impossible. So for this one, I'm giving you a neutral. Neutral. Yeah, I think how Jordan's like the mojo Green Lantern now. Thumbs up. And then uh, next and finally, uh, we have DC Comics Bombshells, number six, with digital chapters 16 through 18, reviewed by Stella. She gave it three out of five. Stella, what happens in this one? Yes, uh, Aquawoman and a whale get rid of a sub full of Tenebrae, and then Supergirl and Stargirl, as they are carrying their mother, they um, meet up with... Aquaman, and they fight a little bit, but then they sort of join forces and later on join the bombshells with Wonder Woman. Um, or I'm sorry, with Amanda Waller. Batwoman meets up or meets a teen, Helena, um, and then she is later taken off by Brother Knight. And then the last one, sort of the greatest hits where a bunch of stuff, hap- bunch of stuff happens. Wonder Woman breaks out of jail and take Steve Trevor with her. And then we see Constantine the rabbit and Zatanna finally decide to do something with their lives <laughs> and get together and uh, go fight whatever is coming. So many of the story, it's been a slow burn, but it seems like many of the storylines are now starting to intersect and the bombshells are actually uh, coming together. So for that one, I'm going to give a thumbs up. Uh, neutral. Thumbs up. All right. And then finally, before we jump into listener Q and A's, I, I want to talk about uh, another group of books that you may have realized that I've left out of my group, uh, which is the Robin War crossover event. So as of right now, we've had a number of books over these past two weeks that have released that are either Robin War part of the actual s- crossover or tie-ins. Um, s- so 
I want to specifically say we will just, we are just going to run through these books, give you the ratings and just give a thumbs up, thumbs down, but we're not going to go into the details. And the reason being is because, uh, we actually have, uh, Rob from, uh, Rob and Everyone Loves the Drake podcast. He is actually going to be heading up a, two special episodes for the comic cast that will focus on the Robin crossover, uh, event. Uh, that will specifically deal with all of the main parts of the, of the series, of the, of the event, I should say, of the event and, uh, give in-depth synopses of, uh, each, each issue as well as give ratings just like we do here, but just a little bit more in-depth because dedicating an entire episode to half the event is a little bit easier than dedicating it to this ep- this podcast episode. Uh, where we are, we got Scott um, Snyder to talk about here. Yeah, well, we talked about Scott Snyder for way too long, and it, yeah, so that. Uh, so real quick, diving in. So part one of Robin War was Robin War number one. It was reviewed by Bill. He gave it four and a half out of five. I'm giving this one a thumbs up. Thumbs down. Wow. Didn't like it. Thumbs up. All right. Part two was Grayson number fifteen. Grayson number 15 was reviewed by Corbin. He gave it four out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs up. Neutral. It was getting better. <laughs> uh, thumbs up. Part three was Detective Comics number 47, which was also reviewed by Corbin. He gave it a total of two out of five. I'm going to give this one a thumbs down. This is so bizarre. Thumbs up. <laughs> which one was this? Was this Detective? Detective? Comics, this is yeah. the only one I liked. <laughs> oh, I, I wow. enjoyed this. T- I mean, there's no... Honestly, there's no like good rating system besides what we're doing right now. Um, but uh, thumbs up. So clearly, Ed and I are on I guess so. I mean, it's not like amazing, but I mean, if you had to choose between thumbs up, thumbs down, and not, then I'll just go with thumbs up. Well, here, here's my thing. I guess what we have to we have to preface this with some sort of remarks because there's no explanation as to why I'm a thumbs up and you're a thumbs down and vice versa. I enjoyed the, the, the first two probably more because I'm, I've been enjoying what Tom King's doing. The Detective Comics one just kind of felt like it was thrown in. I also had a problem because it was solicited that Peter Tomasi was supposed to be writing that, and then it turned out to be Ray Fox, and that was... That was kind of not cool. Yeah. But I like the Detective Comics one. I like how it dealt with Bullock and the kids and the, mm-hmm. the, the idea of can we suspend these laws? Can, are these laws... Just, I really like the Detective Comics part of it. I, I thought that the, it, the whole thing kind of started off... I mean, Damien had some cool moments in the first two issues, but it started off really rocking me, but this Detective Comics one kind of reframed it, and I really enjoyed it. So, yeah, we're just kind of opposite pages there. All right. So, the uh, tie-ins that have already released, Red Hood Arsenal number 7, reviewed by Jim. He gave it a total of 3 out of 5. Uh, I'm going to give this one a neutral. Neutral? Neutral. And then the other one was Gotham Academy number 13, reviewed by Tyler. He gave it 3.5, and, and I'm also going to give this one a neutral. Neutral. It started out as a thumbs down for me, but actually I'm going to give it a thumbs up by the end it comes together. I did like the Damien appearance in, in Gotham Academy, but the problem was See, that... I didn't think it was a continuity. Didn't, I, yeah, it didn't, it didn't feel like it was really going along with a lot of It's like else. he knew the betrayal of Dick Grayson was going to happen, but he didn't. It was almost like Dick Grayson should have been in the tree instead of Damien because he was basically letting Unless her Damien know about... Yeah, 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 but he didn't. So that it was yeah. weird. That's Gotham's finest for you this time around. Um, so with that, we're going to dive straight into our listener Q&As. <laughs> hey boy, did you get a wrong 
sound of the shriek. No, please, don't! Ah! You know, I made a comment last episode that we didn't have enough, and you guys did not disappoint. You brought us a ton of them. So, first yeah. up, Terry says, Hey guys, great episode as usual. Just a few thoughts, though, I that I wanted to share. First, I have a potential answer to the question about how to color the coloring book variant covers and the coloring book collected editions. Good. DC also announced through a couple of outlets, although not in their solicitations, that they were collaborating with an art supply manufacturer, Sargent Art, to put out a special DC Comics exclusive set of colored pencils that basically just look like colored pencils with a special logo on them. I presume you could order with your purchase of the variant colors or covers or that might be available in your local comic shop, even though they weren't part of the official solicitations. Bleeding Cool ran an article about it, and you can also find them available through several online retailers that I'll link below. So obviously if you head over to the website, the link's there. So my guess is that they are being printed on some sort of paper that colored pencils would work on, unless these are special in some way and will be the only way that they work is if you use these licensed set of colored pencils, which is obviously... Very unlikely. But possible. Uh, then he, but yes, it is, <laughs> I guess it is possible. Like, uh, there's, there's, I have, a, I have small children, obviously, and there's these things called color wonder, where it's a marker, where if you draw on anything, it's clear, you right. don't even see it, but if you draw on a special paper, it you suddenly turns into a color. And yeah. don't tell me if they couldn't find a way to market where they could be the only people with a monopoly on colored pencils for their books, they wouldn't do it. I'm sure they would. Especially if they could just, be like, oh, well, not only are you going to sell the item or the the issue, but you're also going to sell this extra set of $5 yeah, of colored tw- pencils. Five, you're being very optimistic. How about $20? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, especially when you can use them in multiple different issues. They'll be like, all right. Then he goes on to say, also, I'm really glad that people seem to like the TV by the numbers stuff. I didn't want to, I did want to point out, though, that DC really only did badly in October comparatively, either compared to Marvel, which is what most people usually do, or compared to month to month. However, they did actually do better in terms of numbers of issues sold and money made off those issues, pretty much just based on the sales of the eternal issues. Like you, And like you had mentioned, I agree with the takeaway from the October being that the new number ones, especially when you can bundle together a lot of them and call it something special, are what really drives comic book sales these days. And I wouldn't be surprised if DC adopts this pattern more often in the future. Wow. Also, also, on the list of things I know will likely never come back to TBU, I'd like to put the point five cast and the villain wall way above the bloopers reel. Oh, uh-huh. Terry. Uh-huh. Terry. You Terry. stabbed me with your comment. First of all, Terry, <clears throat> I'm speaking to you directly now. <laughs> when we were doing the point five cast, in this, and this may have specifically to do with the books we had at the time, Dustin, right? They were terrible. I mean, we had Catwoman that we were, we were giving consistent ones on. Remember? Like, there was times we gave half. Yeah. There was I mean, a lot of half batterings we were handing out. Yeah. Like, it was, <laughs> some of the stuff was, it was like, it was like walking uphill. Every day, you know, um, God, God's the finest thing that we do. Oh um, I think we do a good job of covering the books, but it, the point five is it's, it's too much. The thing oh. was, here's the thing. I, I will be the first to admit, I thought the point five cast, it alleviated some of the stress from the main cast. And that's, you know, splitting up the, you know, the supporting books and having a bigger focus on the main bat books because, there was a point in time, and I'm sure longtime listeners will remember this, when the New 52 came out and we were 
doing episodes every two weeks like we are now, mm-hmm. or twice a month, I should say, there was episodes that were three and a half hours long. And I know that sometimes we release an episode and it's only an hour and a half and some of you are disappointed. And I, I have actually gotten messages from some people here and there that are like, whoa, why is the podcast so, so small? And, whoa. <laughs> and I'm sitting here thinking, well, <laughs> <Yeah>, brother, <laughs> you know, the thing is there are other things that need to get done outside of just producing a three and a half hour podcast, which don't get me wrong. There's plenty of episodes that turn out to be longer than we anticipate. But that all being said, the point five cast, we were still making sure we tried to get you every updated to everything that's going on. But the other thing to factor in with the point five cast, and I know that Terry is joking when he's saying he wants the five point five cast. He's just saying that he'd rather have that than the blooper reel. But I just feel like I need to explain myself to anybody else who's thinking, where did the point five cast go? The other thing is when we were doing the point five cast, we were very rarely actually covering on the website in depth reviews of all these other books. Now we literally have every single one of these books mm-hmm. reviewed on the website every single week. There's a TBU book. It's reviewed. It's there for everyone to dive into and read. And to me, that's a lot more important because the reviews on the website are going to not only reach a lot more people than necessarily just the podcast will, but you can spend a lot more time writing a review at, you know, in depth and, and laying out what happens, then we can synopsize in a very short amount of time that we do here on the podcast. So I'm happy that we have the reviews on the website and I'm thankful that we have everybody who does the reviews on the website. And that's why I'm always encouraging the listeners who read those reviews to be, to comments, which I have seen people commenting on, on our reviews on the website, but it's important to review to get those, you know, to, to, you know, boost up the the morale of the you know the guys and gals who are doing the reviews over on the website because it does take time to do those and it's only benefiting you guys the listeners the readers of the website the fans of TBU and things like that so just that being said also villain wall even though I, I think I said this before but villain wall appears as if it's disappeared from the face of the earth but it's actually just been molded and uh, condensed in and merged into the specials feed so those of you who have wondered to yourself, Villain Wall, what is he talking about? It's over on the specials feed. All right, so next, Bob M. says, Just wanted to tell you guys, first and foremost, thanks for keeping it real as always. It's refreshing yes. to hear your hummus not just bow down to DC's company line. Not that I'm saying you guys ever did. Just means some fan people are so apt to just call it canon, law, gospel, whatever, what have you. I continue to be surprised how interesting I find the sales discussions. I think this information is just really telling maybe the best barometer we have as to what is going behind what's going on behind the scenes at DC and why certain decisions get made. While the immediate takeaway when considering Dark Knight 3 is to assume money grab, especially with all the special editions, varying chromated covers for all the mall rat fans, I actually enjoyed the first issue and found Kubert's take on the Miller style very cool and the showcasing of Carrie in the Batsuit to be a very realistic move. Uh, personally, I think that the myth of Dark Knight Returns has taken on a large role that the book never did. While it certainly influenced a lot of the next, well, honestly, still influences what we see in the Bat Universe today. The book itself was ne- has never been in my top ten, but this feels like a pretty legitimate continuation where Strikes, again, almost gets like Miller was playing a joke. 
As far as the rest of the DC numbers, I think you guys are nailing it. Editorial has just lost the line that defines interest and good storytelling. It's just not there, and they're really in a difficult place. Interestingly, a lot of businesses experience where they went out on a limb and they're finding out that that limb was about to snap. While Marvel, for lots or lot of better, but also their share of worse, it's still a little early to tell as delays are messing them up right now, too. Secret Wars, still not finished with some of their new books on issue three yeah. and four, and has been able to draw a pretty interesting new line of standard, mixing enough of the old stuff and pairing it with some pretty new cool combinations. DC is giving off nothing as much as hard feeling of backstepping into familiarity, which is also stagnant. It's tough to watch because if they were to try and pull another reboot lever or even a crisis or try to reestablish some status, you know, that's crossed their minds, they'll be seen as completely faithful, faithless to the current stable. I don't know what DC will look like in a year, but I doubt that any of the books I'm reading from DC, a rapidly dwindling list, will even still be on the shelves. Wow. Lastly, despite the artistic issues, I think Batman Robin Eternal is a pretty bright light in DC's darkness. The story is intriguing and unfolding at a pretty good pace. And while the danger of any story on this scale is too much retconning can try and overshadow what's come before, I actually feel the, the tack they're taking is really original and has got me really intrigued. How would any of the Bat family feel if they found out that Bruce had influenced the events to get them into his hands? What if that goes as far as he set up to have their families attacked or killed? I hope they play this right and go really hard because it has the potential to be one of the best Bat stories in a long time. Yeah. Unlike the bait and switch, fooled you, it really wasn't the whole time ending we got from Eternal last year. Thanks again, guys. If you've read this far, I appreciate your patience. Looking forward to the rest of Dark Knight Returns and Eternal. Not much else from Gotham and its finest at the moment. Uh, here's the one thing I want to I want to bring up. You 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 talked about uh, you know backtracking DC backtracking. You know if they backtracked from what they were currently doing, it it would show that they don't have a lot of faith in their current stable. I I need to say this specifically because this is something that I feel like we didn't bring up because it really didn't affect any of the the Batman or TBU books. But if we all remember correctly, you know, they started out this, you know, all new DC or whatever they called it back in June with, you know, some new books that they had. Um, when they started that, it was like, oh, well, we're going to try to have a different version, you know, a different type of book for every person out there. Um, any, every person who wants to read a comic book, there will be something there for them. You know, that's why we had Prez. That's why we had Omega Man. That's why we had Batmite. You know, there was different takes on characters. They were going in different directions with some characters, trying to make stuff new and exciting for new readers to come on board and read comics. And some of it's been successful. Some of it's not. One of the things that uh, I've I noticed is that uh, it was July, the beginning of July, right before uh, Comic-Con, DC had announced their next group of uh of miniseries that they were going to do after the current miniseries of Batmite, Harley Quinn, Power Girl. Those books ran their course. They they announced their next group. And in that group of books included the Poison Ivy book, which is coming out next month. We had the, uh, we had the, the Suicide Squad, which was Katana, but then it turned into a Deadshot Katana book. Um, and then there was a bunch of other books, Sugar and Spice, Firestorm, Swamp Thing, um, or Sugar and Spike, I think it was called. Oh, um, nice. 
there was all these different books that were kind of out there and everyone was like, oh, this is crazy. They're, these are really out there. Or Firestorm, who had a book previously, didn't really work out. They were giving six issues to. Uh, they had, they had mentioned at that time Titan's Hunt. They had mentioned, uh, Telos, both of which were supposed to be 12 issues. Telos has been reduced now down to six issues. Omega Men, which was originally supposed to be 12, got reduced to six and then got kicked back to 12 after, you know, there was a fan outcry that it needed 12 issues. But then on top of that, all those books that were supposed to have miniseries in January, uh, the only ones that actually were getting miniseries that, you know, that I'm aware of was actually, uh, the Suicide Squad Deadshot Katana book and then the Poison Ivy one. Everything else just kind of went poof, disappeared until just this past week when DC announced that starting in March, all of those books that were supposed to be their own group, uh, or, you know, have their own miniseries, every single one of them is being combined into one anthology book. Yeah, that was weird, wasn't it? Yeah, not just weird, kind of like, well, we don't have a lot of faith in these miniseries at all, and now we have even less little faith, so we're literally going to make them an anthology book where Didn't you don't even need to like one of these characters, or you can only like one character, you're going to end up having to pay $4 for a book. You're going to laugh when I say well, maybe you won't, but... This, you know what that reminded me of when I read that story? Didn't that remind you of like the movie, like back in the day, they went straight to VHS? Like, mm, they yeah, made it. to video, yeah. Yeah, they made it like, man, we spent a ton of money on this. Uh, just put it out in VHS. And that's what it felt like. It was like, just put it in an anthology and put it out there. You know, like, ugh, I don't get that at all. At all. I don't understand, like, I understand, like, well, here's the thing, like, why wouldn't you just make it a graphic novel then? Yeah, no, that may, like, yeah, that'd be better. Like, yeah. if it was supposed to be six issues and you're saying it's not going to be six issues because you don't have a lot of faith in it, then just release it as a graphic novel, you know, a cheapy one. Like, not a hardcover. Just do it like a $10 hardcover, uh, softcover, trade paperback, or a $12 one or something like that, where it's not too expensive, where it would break yeah. the bank for anybody. But, like, it would be, it would be inexpensive enough for someone just to be like, yeah, I'll give this a try and see what it is. They do it all the time with other books. It's not like Vertigo's yeah, not releasing true. graphic novels. So, I, I mean, so some of Bob's other points, though, like I, I feel like sometimes we, we, me, us, the three of us, can be in the minority if you look around on the rest of the world. Like I'm genuinely enjoying most of what's going on in in the Batman universe right now. Dark Knight Three just started. I can't tell you what's going to happen yet, but I think that it's an interesting premise. Uh, I think Carrie's well done in it. Um, I really like Europa's first issue. I thought that was really cool. And the art is super cool in that. I like what's going on with Batman. We just got Tomasi who, although we, we all didn't like his first detective story. I think we'd all agree that Tomasi is a great writer. And there's going to be good Absolutely. things coming to detective, yeah. right? Like, so I'm very happy with what, I mean, Batgirl's in a very cool place right now. Um, I, I actually am kind of the opposite. I, I kind of really like where the universe is right now that we're dealing. I mean, and, and let's, let's be careful. Remember what it was like three years ago. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, okay. you know, I got to step in here and say this. Okay. You know, I think I've brought this up before on, on more recent episodes. I understand that there's a lot of people who don't necessarily, aren't enjoying the direction of like Jim Gordon in the bat suit. And we have seen that it's Batman and Detective Comics who focus on Jim Gordon in the Batsuit. The sales have gone down compared to when Bruce was in the Batsuit. We know that that's the case. We know that there's people who aren't enjoying that part of it because they want Bruce Wayne in the suit. 
We also know that Bruce Wayne will be back in the suit in issue 50. So that being said, it will go back to that. But at the same time, keep in mind that, like Ed said, three years ago, we had utter crap. And you look at at the, the, the group of books and we obviously review a lot more books than we did previously because we cover a lot more DC, you know, DC books that have Batman characters in them and things like that with like Earth 2 Society and Justice League and Justice League of America and things like that. Suicide Squad, Secret Six. We covered these other books, but like overall, the actual rating compared to the rating, overall rating for books is up about like a, 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 a one and a half batterings compared to three years ago. It's oh, God, like yes. no joke, no joke at all. There was books that were getting horrible, horrible ratings that are now sitting, you know, at a good average three, three and a half every single month. So, you know, it might not be the best thing ever. We can't have every book be four and a half stars every single week. But overall, I mean, the, the, at least the bat books in general, the bat books in general have done a really good job of making sure that not only is there a variety, but also that it's quality variety. Well, and think too, like we've gone, to where a bad rating anymore for us is two and a half or a three, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, eh, it's a three. There were times when I'm like, I don't know, one, one, who cares? You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and, and just look at, like, what Batgirl, I mean, look at where Batgirl was. It's for Stella, especially for a character so near and dear. That was, it was, I mean, you know, so as much as I understand, you know, people, I mean, you're not going to like everything. I don't like everything, you know? I just think that what we're getting right now is good. I mean, overall. All right. So moving on, Owlman says, Hey guys, I heard the holidays bring scarce comments, so I thought I'd finally leave one myself. First, I love that this podcast exists. Absolutely no one else I know reads comics except for some reason, the 80s and 90s. (laughs) And I'm actually enjoying the current era the most. I've been blown away by Batwoman. Where is she? Just about everything by Tomasi. So thank you for giving me someone to share them with. Dustin, I can hear you rolling your eyes with each Marvel reference made by your fellow co-hosts. Uh, co-hosts? Frankly. Yeah, I know. I think he was, co-hosts? Being, nice. He was being nice, but it's really always just me. <laughs> and frankly, I roll mine in unison. Oh, no. Other person. And finally, if we can get the, if we can't have a blooper reel, can we at least get some <gasps> tacked on segment chronicling the amount of times you say specifically Throughout the episode, that would make my day. I really love the podcast, and your discussions are something I look forward to almost as much as reading the books themselves. Well, thank you very much, Owl Man. I appreciate your comments. Um, you, you're no joke. Every time there's a Marvel reference, I'm rolling my eyes. Sometimes I'm tapping my foot, pounding on the table, and eventually it gets to the point where I tell Stella to shut up. Well, I made I a Broadway reference today, so I'm broadening your horizons even more. You know. But Broadway's not Marvel, so I'm, I, I can be okay, <laughs> You're okay with, that. with that. Okay. Um, so specifically, we yes. Just not spider. I, I okay. know. I know for a fact that I say specifically a lot. I know it's one of those words that just rolls seconds. out of my mouth way too much. Um, I also say literally a lot. Literally that too. Can we, um, we start referencing Lost? Can we get back into that era of the Batman? <laughs> no, Lost was banned. And anybody who was working on Lost had like a year banned from being on TBU. Oh. That's why Josh Bertoni was gone for so long. Okay. But anyway, um, there actually, if you want to, the funny thing is, I, I doubt, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I edit the podcast once, uh, once we, we get done recording them and I, and you know, to get them posted up, I, this is the one podcast that I edit myself and 
the bloopers, as I've said, they disappeared because one, there's not as many bloopers and I leave a lot of them in, but the, but to actually take time to put in, to make a segment, I literally, there's no way I have time to, to, to put together any sort of extra segment. It's hard enough trying to find new intro music for our Gotham's finest section. That being said, um, there actually, if you go back to the early days of the Batman Universe podcast, the, the original podcast from, from TDU, there actually was an episode and I, I couldn't tell you what episode. I know it's probably within the first, we were doing that episode, I want to say once a month. So probably within the first 10 episodes, uh, one of the guys who was editing, his name was Chris, uh, he edited the podcast and he actually at one point had taken uh, at the time it was myself, Chris and Apple who were doing the podcast and he had made, uh, he had a lot of time on his hands at the time and he had taken all of our us, ums and cut them out, but had strung them all, strung them all together. And it actually added up to about five minutes in like a two hour podcast. It's kind of nuts. But, that guy had a lot of time on his hands. Yes, um, now first of all, thank you, Al man for being so nice. I do wonder where Bat where Batwoman is. I like yeah. Batwoman a lot. I think she's super cool. I, I mean, I I was that was one. I, listen, I'm not often like upset when a book gets canceled because I know we live in a world where if it gets canceled, just give it six months and it'll be back. You know, I mean, but she went away. I mean, just like gone. You know, I mean, she's still in, in bombshells, which is cool. You know, um, but I, I do wish she would get her own ongoing. Um, this is going to sound terrible, but I bet. What I see happening is Midnighter getting canceled and Batwoman getting her own book again. Yeah. Um, I think that would make that a easier pill for people to swallow. Does that make any sense? You know, you, like, are you saying that you think there needs to be sort of like a, a token, a token um, LGBT led book on the? Well, I don't think life? that he's saying it needs to be a token character, <laughs> but it's almost <laughs> like I think DC would look bad if they got rid of one and didn't and come didn't up with another. Okay. I mean, like when Batwoman said it was going away, they did had they had already announced that Midnighter was coming, so it wasn't like well, right. well, here's my that but, we won't have a character who's you know part of the LGBT community. So in that way, I can understand it. But well, more than that, to, though, to to the idea of you know where is Batwoman? There's other characters who have been gone too. You know, Batwing disappeared ever since the end of Eternal. We've had uh, Talon, who made an appearance at the end of Eternal, but has been gone forever. There really needs to be some sort of book out there. And I don't know how they would do this, but they need to make some sort of anthology-type book for all of these TBU characters who can't manage to keep their own like series. school detective comics, really. Yes, yes, yeah. something like that, where you can have all of these characters like Batwoman, Batwing, Talon, uh, you know, to a degree, the characters who don't have their own series, like Spoiler or Harper Rowe <laughs> or eventually Duke Thomas, you know, Tim Drake, tell stories involving these characters. You can have a completely revolving round of writers, a revolving group of, of uh, you know, they already have a book called Legends of the Dark Knight, which is a digital first series, which barely releases anything nowadays. But they have these books that they release, you know, one, two, uh, you know, one issue every like four months and it's just a one-off story with a one artist one writer team Mm -hmm. and they do this and i feel like that's what we really need to have within the batman universe i'm not saying we need to have it like immediately but it would alleviate some of these characters that 
you know, we don't see for the longest time. Why not have somebody come on and be like, I've got this awesome story, but it's, it, you know, it's not necessarily for Batman. It can happen in Gotham. I can write it for Batwing or I can write it for this. Cause there's a lot of characters that have, you know, that exist even within this post, you know, post flashpoint universe. There's a lot of characters that have kind of just disappeared and we don't know where they are. We don't know what has been going on with them that they really should do something with. And it feels as if, and we've said this before, when they create a new character, you know, someone made a comment like, well, how come Harper Rowe hasn't had anything to do with Batman ever since she was in Eternal? It was basically like, she went from being in Batman and being like a focus of Snyder to being in Eternal to not being in anything until Eternal pops back up. And, you know, I love Eternal. I love the fact that they focus on a variety of characters and they, you know, focus, they, they give a little feature to a lot of different villains. But there's a lot of main not-villain characters that should get just as much focus as, you know, Bane popping up in two different Eternal stories. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think uh, two things. One, uh, the comment I was making about Batwoman and that is I think that this is super, super important. This is why Gotham Academy and Batgirl are such important books, right? We need DC Comics to be more inclusive of comics for everybody, you mm-hmm. know? Young girls, doesn't matter. I, I, we should have as many inclusive characters as we can because the only way comics are going to stay around as we know them is if the audience grows. If it continues to shrink, I mean, just run the numbers some afternoon. If it shrinks 5% a year over the next 15 years, you know what I'm saying? It just goes back to there. Um, so that's kind of where I was on that. But as your point, I think there's two worlds that could use, I mean, maybe you could call it Gotham's finest or, uh, hell, you could even do Justice League Gotham. There's enough of them, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but the other one is the Green Lantern books suffer from the same thing is, is when you have books that have developed a mythology that has so many different parts and pieces to it, like all the GLs that have been there over the years or the Batman characters. I think the only way you can do it is to have a, a book that is, is designed to be an anthology book. Yeah. And, and you know, you brought up uh, bombshells, right? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I think Ed, right? Yeah. Ed, you, yeah. you said that. And I loved, you know, I love seeing Kate, in there and Batwoman again. Um, but the problem is that, man, 50% of Kate and, and that story was being with Maggie. And even now, right, they're separated. They're separated now because she's in Berlin and, and Maggie is there across, uh, across the pond and in the U.S. It's 1940, of course. But, you know, the Batwoman, the storyline, um, it was different. It was the supernatural element, which again, we're going to lose that because Gotham by Midnight's going away. So we're going to be, there's going to be a void there. But, you know, part of it, that story was just watching Kate and Maggie and that relationship grow. And it's a bummer because Maggie's this commissioner now. So you only get little glimpses of her and her interactions when Jim, whenever it's convenient to have her on page, Batwoman kind of pops up randomly uh, whenever there's another story point that needs someone to cover it. So very much like we were talking about, you know, whenever there's some sort of goal or mission and there's not enough people, then they call on Batwoman. But I think it was just a travesty with how it ended. And I think part of it goes back to um when the writers, the, you know, the creators were told you can't have them married, there can't, there can't be this positive end to it. I think that, that was like the, the death note almost. And then it just sort of petered out from there. I know it 
lasted for another year or so. Um, but now, you know, I looked to Batgirl and, and I wrote that whole article on it. And then it actually happened that, hey, guess what? Alicia and Joe got married in 45. So, gosh, I look at that and I think to myself, you know, they got married. What is the big deal about marrying Kate and Maggie? Um, but, but all of this to say that, you know, if you bring Batwoman back, um, I'm, I'm hoping that there is some sort of tie-in with, with Kate and Maggie. But I, I don't want it to be, you know, Midnighter, you know, our gay superhero is is gone. So we need to bring back the lesbian superhero that we had. I want there to be like a more all-inclusive universe. And I think it has to be that way. It can't just be, be you know, we're catering to these different people groups. We're catering to the masses. It's got to be organic and to me. To have diversification, I think, is to grow the universe, not force stuff in um, where it doesn't fit. But I think Maggie, well, I think Batwoman will always fit, but I'm hoping that it comes back organically and not just because they feel like it's got to be there. But that that is a bummer. Man, I could go on and on about Batwoman, I think, and, and bringing that back because that was such a shot to the heart when you know, that you happened. Know, and, and to your point, you know, you made the comment about, you know, they made a, they made a big deal. DC, Dan DiDio specifically had said, oh, Kate can't get married. It's impossible. You stupid. don't have these characters get married. And the thing is, everyone agreed it was a stupid thing, right. but the biggest thing about it, which makes it really stupid is, if the character, you know, the character didn't get married, they had that whole Nocturna storyline, which, mm-hmm. you know, created this whole other character for her to be, you know, with, instead of having to, you know, be with Maggie, Mm -hmm. throwing away all of this stuff that they had built with Maggie for all that time. But the biggest thing about it that is like so frustrating is that ultimately not putting her with Maggie and having her go with somebody else, the sales slumped, the book got canceled Mm -hmm. and nothing happened. If you look at, you know, the, the flip side of it, what would have really happened if they just had her marry Maggie you know, live in a, you know, I understand that there's a, not a whole lot of characters in the DC universe that are actually married mm-hmm. and they don't actually focus on it. But why not just have a couple characters, yeah. you know, who have built this, you know, ha- who have a great relationship. Mm-hmm. Why not have them get married and explore that aspect of it? I mean, they did it with Superman or uh, Clark Kent and Lois Lane in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And that was a big part of the Superman books. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you wouldn't want to explore that. instead of just doing the same old thing, throw away love interests every, you know, every year or something. Mm-hmm. Like that. So yeah, but- in some ways yeah. it just doesn't make any sense as to why they wouldn't have done it because by not doing it and doing a different direction, it ultimately it got the series canceled anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the thing that was sad too was, and this will be my last throw in on this, is when <laughs> when J.H. Uh, Williams was doing that series at the beginning, right? It was both artistically and story driven, one of the most beautiful books. Absolutely. Like it was, it was so, the story was fleshed out. It felt like a real relationship. And remember how the art was so detailed for like the mm-hmm. first 20, I mean, mm-hmm. just, there was a couple issues where it was literally two page spreads, splash oh, pages, yeah. the whole yeah. issue. Yeah, like, yeah. It just, it was the, one of the most amazing books. I just, yeah, why you screw that up? And the thing is, J.H. Williams, he was writing it, but he wasn't just, he wasn't the only artist. There was also Trevor McCarthy, yeah, McCarthy. and he did a great job. So, I mean, like, it's it an was, amazing book. That, it was like a great book where they took, and don't get me wrong, they were telling some like crazy outlandish, oh, you yeah. know, dealing with the magical elements Wonder of Gotham and stuff like that. Yeah. Which was fine. Like, it, it was different. It was the same thing as what they ended up doing with Batwing, mm-hmm. you know, later in his run. But, like, there's, it, it just... It worked. It worked. And 
to to basically throw it all away for this stupid. Well, we can't have our characters married. It doesn't make any sense because if this if the character would have got married and the sales would have continued to slump, then it would have ended up being canceled just as soon as it got canceled without them getting married. So and that's why what not? Co- and now here we are. And they're not even anywhere to be seen. And, it, and this caused the whole thing. But remember, it was this little temper tantrum from the Dio that caused Williams just to tell him to go, I'm leaving, I'm done. Yeah. Right? Um, just, yeah. But if you guys, if anybody is ever sitting out there and you're looking like, oh, I want to read something. If you haven't read those first three or four trades, where it was, like you said, McCarthy and Williams. Uh, and World's Finest, the one with the, with the Wonder Woman crossover. Um, if you guys haven't, go get them. I mean, they're, 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 the art is unbelievable. The story is great. It's probably one of the highlights of the new 52 since we got it. Yeah, especially because from the, in the early new 52, there was very few stories that were were actually fleshed out and had good art, consistent good art. And Batwoman was one of the ones that, you know, even if it was outlandish stories, it was fleshed out very, very well. So good stuff. All right, moving on to the last comment from Don. He says, I'm not really sure why you guys are so insistent that Bruce Wayne cannot possibly be dead. I mean, this is an Elseworlds tale. It doesn't really matter or affect anything else whatsoever. Dark Knight Returns, Bruce was 55. So in this story, if this story is 10 to 15 years later, he's about 70. Also, with the artwork looking like Miller, I have to imagine the credit is Klaus Janssen's inking since he was also doing the original book and did the majority of the artwork in chapter four of Dark Knight Returns. So, um, my, so my response to that is, I'm not saying that he can't be dead because it's an Elseworlds story. Obviously, they could have him dead. I feel as if people in general will be upset if Bruce Wayne is dead and there is nobody else but Kerry Kelly mm-hmm. as Batman. That's what I'm saying. Dude, he's not I personally, get out of here. <laughs> I personally, I don't really think it's that big of a deal because, like you said, it doesn't affect the rest of the universe. And even if it did, it's it's so set so far into the future that it really shouldn't make a difference. But all that is said, there was people who were flipping out that Carrie Kelly was Batman at the end of issue one. So the fact that there's people who are upset about that. You don't think that they'd be upset about the fact that Bruce Wayne is actually dead and he doesn't appear in the story at all? Okay. Of course they are. Here, here's a few little nuggets for you there. For yeah. one, if they had decided to kill Bruce Wayne and they just sold 440,000 copies or whatever it's going to end up being, they'd bring him back to life. I mean, yes, they would. So, yes, they would. Nobody went into this story. And the, the Carrie Kelly, I think it's a Batman cool. I think that's going to be really fun. But there's just like, I'm not saying he can't be dead for reasons of storytelling. Like, that's perfectly possible. It's an Elseworlds tale. Do whatever you want. We have a like a cybernetic Ronald Reagan, the first one, kind of. So by all means, do whatever you want. But dude, he's not dead. I mean, I, I didn't mean that from storytelling. I mean, it's just there's no way that he's dead. Any story, it's not. All right. So with that, that is all of our comments. Thank you very much to all of you who sent in comments. Yay. Please remember, as all men said, holidays bring scarce comments. Yeah. And because of that, we encourage you to take some time this holiday season to leave comments for us. Mm-hmm. Also, with that being said, this is actually the last episode that you will hear our three lovely voices on before the holidays are upon us. So we encourage you to have a safe and happy holiday, mm-hmm. no matter what holiday you celebrate. Mm-hmm. We encourage you to have that as well as a happy new year, because actually the next time you'll hear from us, it will be in three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um we actually, uh, because there's five Wednesdays in the month of December, we will be back here for your listening pleasure on 
this January 8th is the next time you will hear us. So, like I said, have a great holiday uh, and uh, enjoy a number of things. But also keep in mind that uh, next week you will have the first special episode of the Comicast featuring the first half of the Robin Moore crossover event from Robin and his guys. So be sure to be on the lookout for that as that releases next week. And then, like I said, we'll be back here on January 8th. So with all of that being said, I encourage everybody to head over to the website to check out all that we have to offer. Be sure to check out all the other podcasts we have to offer. Lots of episodes are releasing in the next couple of weeks. New Bat Books for Beginners, Back of Oracle's Anniversary Special, yeah. as well as uh, the the final episode before the holidays of the TBU podcast. So be sure to check out everything we have to offer. Also, by the time you're listening to this, we should also have either this week or the f- next week, uh, the next special episode of uh, Batman Robin Eternal over on the specials feed. So check out everything we have to offer. There's always a ton and uh, we encourage you to leave reviews on iTunes and uh, leave comments over on the website. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for all the latest news and videos from the Batman universe. Be sure to have a good and safe holiday. Safe is probably more than uh, more important than good, in my opinion. Okay. But have a safe holiday, and uh, we will be back with you in three weeks. From everybody at the Batman universe, this is Dustin. This is Ed. I am... The artist formerly known as Stella, still Josh Bertoni right here. And this has been the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. We'll see you guys in three weeks. Happy holidays. So are you at, are you at school right now, Stella? I am, and I, you know, I drive in expecting there. You know, I can park in this kind of weird spot that's really close to the building, and then I notice on the street, not even getting to the school, there are cars. And I thought, oh no, something's going on. So I'm just waiting. There are all these cars. I think the event is over, whatever it was, but. I'm just waiting for someone to probably come down the hall and be like, what are you doing? Well, that's actually kind of better because I was thinking if you were alone, isn't it like the start of like the perfect B horror movie? Uh, well, I'll be alone soon. Yeah, it's pretty creepy down here. And right now I'm in the lounge, so I can kind of see all the comings and goings of cars. And it's, yeah, people can see me, but I can't see them. Yeah. <laughs> Not again. I mean, this could be the last podcast that I ever record. <laughs> uh, oh, but no. all for in you, Dustin. School. All for you. Yes. Keep in mind, it's not all for just me. It's for all of the TBU fans who appreciate everything that you do, Stella. You'll never even know because you'll cut this out. And oh, when I don't, you'll sound like a crazy person. <laughs> That's basically true. By the way, nothing does make us sound crazier when one of us says. So you're going to cut this out, right? And we're listening to it in the podcast? Yeah. 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 I like that. <laughs> jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Hey! Jingle bells, Batman smells. Robin laid an egg. The Batmobile lost the wheel. And the Joker got away.
one horse open tree. Busting out I go, laughing all the way.